I want you to open to the book of Psalms, number 130. Psalms 130. Sitting at the table the other evening, asking for a message for tonight. Is there anything that you want to show me? I'm going to read, and I'm going to read slowly, and if you want things to jump off the page and any of the part of these psalms that I'm going to read, then I want you to show it to me. You know, otherwise, I'm just going to enjoy reading, and I don't have to have that. But I read through several psalms. When I came to Psalm 130, it seemed to have a message. Of course, there's a message in every part of the Bible. doesn't mean you're anointed to bring it forth, but there's something there. And I read Psalm 130, and I thought, you know, that would be good because it sort of fits where a lot of us have been, maybe some will go, but we need to talk about it. Verse 1 is where the title is, and the title is Out of the Depths, Out of the Depths. And he says in verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Or in other words, I really hope. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's begin with the first part of that verse where he says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Depths here is a word that simply describes something deep, like in the ocean. Some situation that is not only not convenient, something that's not enjoyable, something for which there is no pleasure, or peace, but a time of anxiety or a time of turmoil. It could be a thousand different things that we have turmoil over. Could be in our family, could be in our church, could be in our country, could be in your body, could be a lot of things. But there are things that often disturb us. And sometimes you don't really know how to deal with it, but you know you have to. And what complicates this a little bit is that you know you've got this as a trial you've got to walk through as something you've got to deal with yourself, and you don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm even going to face this. I mean, I've been told this, or the situation is this, and I wouldn't know where to start. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, or you ever felt that way, but depths, depths kind of a hard word to say. You have to flap your lip a little bit, depths. You know, depths are a place of silence. The victims of a depth or a deep place are often silent. It sometimes leads to hopelessness. And when it leads to hopelessness, you just grow quiet. There's almost a resignation to what you're going through. There's no use in crying out. It doesn't seem to be working anyway. I cry out to God, but... He doesn't seem to listen or it doesn't seem to work or it's not changing anything and I don't know what good it's doing. That's a hole you get in. 
I don't know of anybody that hadn't been there, at least to some degree in their life, and had to deal with it and, and had to face it. Life is full of such things, of woes of life, consternations. You get tensions, uncertainty, in doubt. You just feel like nobody understands. And I don't know what to do. Now, if you're there and that's what you're going through and that's the way you're thinking, it can be a hard place to be and a difficult place. But if you're a Christian that has been taught, now there's a lot of Christians that haven't been taught. There's a lot of people that attend a lot of churches that don't know what God has offered them at a time of darkness. They don't know that. All they know is what they've watched others do and what they've heard other people do. And you, if you have a prayer meeting, all you do is just pray. You keep asking for the same thing over and over and over and over again. Well, he did say cry out. So they take that and just keep crying. As one, boy, one really good conservative commentator I read this week, he said, you know, if they cry out enough, God will eventually respond. And I thought, no, that is not right. We cry out because we have been taught that we have a solution and a place to go in time of need to get an answer. Cry out doesn't necessarily mean you're asking for something over and over and over. It means that your heart is overwhelmed. You're in a place that you don't know what to do. And so there is this, Lord, I'm looking to you. This is what you taught us for 30 years to do. We've had so many Wonderful pastures, green pastures we've walked through. We've climbed a few hills and been on a mountaintop. Boy, that other part of this life, that, those valleys and those dark places we have to walk through and deal with. Weaknesses in your life. Sin that so easily besets you that you don't even know how to deal with and so you let it be. I mean, there's so much in people's lives that don't get dealt with. It just exists, and it brings you into a hole. How many of you know you cannot sin and have God's blessing all over your life? And it's just so easy to sin. All you have to do to sin, basically, is justify what you're doing. Well, I, you know, I, I ain't the only one. You think that makes it right? You keep doing that, and your life becomes kind of dull. Some of us wonder, what's wrong with you? Where's your joy? What if I told you tonight that there is too much oppression in the church, that people don't have the kind of joy that the Bible says we ought to have? How many of you know that's in the Bible? That people really don't count it all joy when they are in these dark places. The psalmist didn't have the New Testament message as we have it. But he did know in whom he had believed, and so he cried aloud. God told him in Isaiah 58, he said, cry aloud and spare not. Bear your heart before God. Don't hide it. Don't put it aside. Don't justify it. Bear it. Bring it before God. Tell him exactly how you feel and what you're going through. He already knows. And even when you do that, sometimes... It seems like God's response lingers. Boy, the passion and the agony of your heart comes out, and it just seems like there's not much of a response. Did you suppose a Canaanite 
woman felt like that? As Mark called her, the Syrophoenician woman. You remember her? Her daughter had a sickness, and she came to Jesus, and he rejected her. I mean, she cried out. They told her, shut up, and she said, I ain't shutting up because he's my answer. Just like that woman with the issue of blood, the world can't help her. All they can do is put their arms around her and say, oh, you poor soul. Oh, bless your heart. That's all, that's all the world could do. This touchy-feely religious atmosphere that a lot of people live in, just, oh. But she knew something that went beyond that. She said, you know what? There is victory and peace in Christ. She went to him. They said, leave him alone. No, he leave him alone. My daughter's sick, so she's grievously afflicted. Would you heal her? And he said, children's bread is not for dogs. You remember the story? Dog, whatever I am. She said, I don't want the whole loaf, just the stuff that they don't want, the stuff, the crumbs that fall on the table, a little piece of what you got will heal my daughter. You know what he said to her in the gospel of Mark? He said, woman, go thy way for this saying, the devil has departed. Think of that. Now, that's how strong a hold the devil can have on somebody that you can say, for this saying, go thy way. What she believed in her heart, she simply spoke it because she pressed in. She wouldn't give up. She pressed in. So, you're right, I am a dog. But I want what you got because what you got is the only hope I have, and I'm not going to leave till I get it. And he said, go your way, for the devil is gone out of thy daughter. Man, that beast laboring all night, telling that thing to leave and shaking people and all that, doesn't it? Trying to get people delivered. It just took a confession of honest, heartfelt faith to, to say, I'm not doing so good. I am oppressed. I don't have any joy anymore. But you know who's behind all your problems? Do you know? Can I tell you? It's a devil. He got him a victim. He found somebody. How does he go about like a roaring lion? He's looking for somebody that is vulnerable, and he looks for them. Some he can't get into because they're going to cry out, and they're going to win. Oh, he can rap on their head, but he can't stay. Boy, he can find some. He can find the little moany groany crowd, and he can get in there. And just raise havoc with your life. Make you miserable. Sometimes you go home after church and you tell yourself, I don't even know why I go anymore. I don't even know why I go. I just don't get anything out of it. Who do you suppose behind that? Who would love to shut your mind and blind your eyes so that you have ears to hear but you can't hear? Who wants to keep you from perception, from perceiving or understanding what God said? The devil, because when you understand this, you begin living this way. Who wants to keep you quiet and silenced and, I don't know, I don't know, and just let your problems overwhelm you? It's the devil. He said, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. And he heard her. Remember the unjust judge in Luke 18? 
the verse that talks about when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Well, right before he said that, he told the story of the unjust judge. This woman wanted some relief, and he ignored her. Now, a lot of women would have probably said, well, I tried that Christian stuff. I tried that faith stuff and that prayer stuff, but it obviously didn't work because he wouldn't even talk to me. He just sort of turned his head. Now, you can do that, and I think a lot of people do. They justify that. They know others that did the same thing, so they're in the same boat. Nothing works. And when the preacher preaches about it, just go, no, no, that doesn't work. Or be like this woman was. She was wearing that judge out. Every time his chamber doors opened, she was in there saying, I want you to avenge me of my enemies. I have a right to be here. This is the law. Here I am. You remember what he told his court people? He said, whoever's bothering her, deal with them. She is wearing me out. He said, she's giving me a black eye. She's, now you compare that. Take that kind of a Christian. That person would be good with you in a foxhole because they won't give up. They got a source. They're not trying to get God to do something. They've already determined God does something. God not only can, God will. So they're not in there trying to, God, would you please just, or crying out, Lord, I'm not leaving this place until you do that. You suppose God ever delights in such a, a forceful Christian? Somebody that says, I don't want to lay down and give up and, and throw in the towel. You see, I have been taught you would say, I've been taught that when we have a problem, we go to God. Come boldly to the throne of grace. When? 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 In time of need. If you're in a hole, you have a need. I don't care how long God seems to prolong his response. He's all you got. Drugs can't help you. Today, if a kid gets where he's too active, what they call it, ADD, <clears throat> they shoot drugs him. You can't drug a demon. The only hope is God. There is no deliverance in the systems of man. It's only in God. But if you're not taught that, you won't do that. And if you can't wrap your faith around that, it's just a good idea and a good theory, but will it work for me? Well, of course it'll work for you. That's what the Bible's for. It's for you. You think about it. Look at verse 3 and 4. Not only did he say, I cried out to the Lord, and he said, Lord, hear my prayer. Be attentive unto me, Lord. I know you will. I've been taught this. But look at the next verse. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Lord, in case this delay is something to do with my life or something I'm missing, is it sin? Am I leaving out something that me and you, that I need to deal with with you about? Am I going through something here that's overwhelming me because like Jonah? Remember Jonah? Jonah was in the depths too, wasn't he? Jonah made a bad decision. And the bad decisions are easy to make. And Jonah made one. 
you know, he had a mission. God didn't leave him there because he had a plan for Jonah's life. We're to be encouraged by this whole story. He brought him out of that fish's belly, barfed him up on the earth. And Jonah said, I'll go to Iraq. And he did. There's something for us there. God's going to get his worth out of you. I don't care who you are. But when it comes to sin, Lord, he said, if you should mark iniquity, who could stand? I can't tell you how many sins I've committed. How many of you know all the sins you've committed? The Bible says, confess your sins before God in order to be saved. Well, you can't remember all of them. And if every time you did something wrong, and if every mistake you made, every thought that was wrong, if everything in your daily life you did wrong, God was, I, ca I, I caught you, caught you, caught you. God would be busy catching. Knowing that we are weak and vulnerable creatures to begin with, and that we readily yield to the easiest way through life, whatever we can, and we don't like to fight and resist the devil looking for a way out, or if we fail, we, he gives us excuses to make. But he said, Lord, I don't remember all my sins. I'm sure I'm full of iniquity, and I mean, I've sinned so much in my life, I don't even like to think about it because that's some of the dirtiest, darkest part of my past. It's the sins I've been forgiven of. Now, there are times that God makes you aware of something in your life that is a reason for your problem. So he told Israel over and over and over why they were being judged and why they were going into captivity. He didn't say it because you didn't brush your teeth this morning. He didn't say it because you were rude to your wife or your husband. But he told him, he said, you're idols. He knew about all the other things. He knew about the thoughts and the lust thoughts. He knows all about that. Are you watching pornography in here? Any of you young folks watching pornography? He knows. He knows the lust thoughts in your mind. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. Nobody's getting by with anything. And sometimes he makes you know that that particular sin is a door that's been closed. It's closed the door between you and God. All of us in this room by nature are sinful creatures. That doesn't give us a license to sin because we've been forgiven. But the weaknesses of sin are everywhere. Even Christians have to repent at times, don't they? If any man sin, John wrote, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the faithful, that if any man sin, that he will forgive us. I mean, he knows that even as Christians, even with the Spirit of God in us, he knows the mind, while it's in the renewing process, sometimes thinks some bad things up and lead to bad decisions as a Christian. He knows that. God didn't destroy us because we messed up. He didn't park you in some grave because you've said something to you you shouldn't have said to the traffic light, as though a traffic light had a mind. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our weaknesses. Psalm 139 said he knows our frame. I mean, there's nothing about us that he does not know. He said in verse 3, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? You're holy and you're pure. 
we are called your people. You brought us to you. I don't know why you'd even want us. Even the psalmist wrote, Sutter, who is man that you're even mindful of him? Look how easy he falls. Look how easy he gives up. Even some of the greatest men in the Bible had their weaknesses and flaws. Some of the greatest in the New Testament. They weren't exactly perfect people. But if God marked every sin the moment you did it, there would be no reason to be here tonight. We would just be constantly being told about our sins, shown our sins. Oh, Young's literal translation says, If iniquities thou dost observe, O Lord, who can stand? Because of sin in our life, there's nobody that can even stand. We're all guilty, the whole bunch of us. Am I in this situation because I've sinned? Because, Lord, everything about my life is sin. It seems. He said that. He said, Lord, if you saw our iniquities. Didn't he say that in verse 3? If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities. Psalm 143 and verse 2 said, In thy sight no man living shall be justified. No man in thy sight. I mean, all we like sheep of what? There's nobody righteous in and of themselves. We have to be made like that or reckoned to be righteous. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and what? Come short. So if you should mark sins, Lord, we're all done. And we know we're sinners. And we know that you're tolerant of us more than we are tolerant of each other. And we know that you care more than we even realize because you have every right in this world to judge us all. But God, rather than judge us, rather than discard us because of our sins, you know the wonderful, wonderful story of redemption. He provided a way of escape so that we can all be made right with the Lord. God is good. And he said, Lord, in verse 4, this, you got to like this. And Lord, there is forgiveness with thee. If we have sinned, you can forgive us. This word forgiveness is used three times in the Old Testament. It's used here. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9, he says, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. They go together. Look at us. Look at us in here tonight. Look how far short without any help from God or without leaning on God or crying out to God or holding fast to God. Look how easy it was. Look how easy it is to be conquered by the enemy and by those things that the devil does. Look how easy it is. But he said, Lord, with you there is forgiveness. The word is described by one commentator. It's like a body that had a cancer in it, and you cut it out, and you get it all, and you discard it, and now the body not only can heal, but it can be well again. That's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness makes us well. Forgiveness takes away everything that made you judge worthy, worthy of judgment. He removes all of that, pulls it away, and sets you free. That's why in Romans chapter 3, Paul wrote, he said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
How many of you know the Redeemer has come and has brought immeasurable grace, favor to his people? And look at the people he brought it to. Who in here deserved it? Who in here deserved any of it? I didn't. I doubted you did. And why did God single out such worthless people as some of us, or all of us? Why did he single us out for salvation and lift us up out of the sinful, miry clay? Why did he do that? It's a long sermon, but beautiful sermon, but he had a purpose for you. Before you were ever born, God made you for a purpose. How many of you believe that? You have a purpose. That plan of that purpose is being unfolded. Every time you search out the Lord, he just gives you a little more light, a little more revelation about it. Shows you sometimes why you're not doing well and why that purpose is not being fulfilled. It's because you're dragging your feet. You're more consumed by this world and its ways than with God and his ways. We are. That happens all the time. How easy it is to go to a ball game rather than go to church. Because there's pleasure and feelings and all that other stuff. But there's a pleasure and feeling in church that you're not used to. All you've ever done is go and listen. You've never really been involved with your heart. But when God redeems us and sets us free, he makes us new creatures in Christ. Listen to what Ezra said about us and our sins. What a wonderful verse. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 13 says, And after all this that has come upon us for our evil deeds, you know, the captivity, and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and has given us such great deliverance as this. I made a note to put that on my desk at a place that I can always see it. Ezra 9, 14. Lord, where we are, he said, the captivity that we just came out of, even the hardship is because of our great sin, the evil that we've committed against you, our total indifference to you, taking you for granted, and all of that. And yet, you have not punished us as much as our sins deserve. Wow. That ought to tell you something about how good God is and how much he loves you. He didn't have to drag you out of the miry clay or deliver you from the bondage in Babylon. He could have judged you and been just in doing it. But that isn't what he wanted to do with you. That's not what his plan was. Paul wrote, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Praise God for that. With thee, Lord, there is forgiveness. Are there things in your life tonight that you need forgiveness from? Any of you? Don't raise your hand. Are there things going on in your life that you know is wrong? You know you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there, wear that, or say that. Whatever it is, do you know of something in your life you need to be forgiven from? Guilt's a horrible thing to carry around. Guilt will make you put your hands in your pocket or set on them during a church service. Guilt will put a piece of tape over your mouth. 
Guilt will make you sit there totally ineffective and unable to learn because of sin. And yet with God, there's forgiveness. Then who's telling us we can't turn to God? It's the people in the hole that don't cry out. The psalmist said, Lord, if you mark iniquities, we're all doomed. I know you are because of some of the verses that I just read. I know you forgive. That's what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're forgiving God. All that trash in your life, all the people you did wrong, all the ugly things you said, all the ugly gossip and stuff that you repeated, that's a sin. And yet God reminds us of it and beckons us to his throne. You need to repent for your sin will separate you from God. You'll exist and you'll continue to be religious, but you'll be dead. You'll be hammered dead. You'll go through the motions. You'll be indifferent. You'll just be dead. Stephen, when he was being stoned in the book of Acts, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge because he understood forgiveness. Not only could he forgive others, but he knew that the source for forgiveness is God. There's something about what forgiveness does in people's hearts. And the Bible has so much to say about it. If there's one thing that can keep you out of heaven, one simple thing that can keep us out of heaven is being unwilling to forgive. Matthew 18. Unwilling to forgive. And look at all the bad things that people have said about you in your life and all the problems you've had with people or you've been done wrong. And yet when you come to God, he says, as I would do, you do also. As I've forgiven you, you forgive others. If you can't do that, you can't be mine. With thee, God, the psalmist said, there is forgiveness. Now go back to the Psalms 130. If you've gone anywhere else, verse 5 and 6. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. One of life's absolutes as a Christian and one of life's absolutes if you're not a Christian is that through life you have to wait. You have to wait all the time. Waiting. Verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. In thy word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say again, more than they that watch for the morning. Waiting. Waiting is a biblical message. It's also a message we grew up with. You go to a movie theater, you have to wait. You go to a restaurant, you order your food, you have to wait. You go to a grocery store to get in line, you have to wait. You go to a traffic light, you have to wait. You're in a checkout counter getting your coffee, you have to wait. Too many times you have to wait on somebody that can't find that nickel he had. I had it somewhere. Where is that? And you feel like saying, I'll pay his just so he'll leave, which is not a good attitude, but sometimes you feel like saying that. Waiting. You have to wait. You know, a woman's going to have a baby. She can't speed that up. There are nine months it's going to take for that baby to come out. Generally, that's what it is. As far as I know, it's nine months. I remember one time a lady, I had to deal with her because she had been with child, she said, for like, what, 12 months? 
and we told her that she was not going to have a baby, and she went hysterical. I say, we, I did. I usually get all that. That's what I get to do. I said, nobody, no human being who has conceived is with child for 12 months. You have it in nine months. That's easy. Oh, no, I'm believing God. I'm acting my faith. Wearing maternity clothes 12 months later. No, I'm believing God. Well, I can't fault your willingness to act your faith, but what you're acting is not faith because it has no basis. When it comes to the waiting game, you can't speed up to birth. You can only wait. And ask any woman that's had a baby. That last month is a is tough game. Because, you know, you're getting ready for this baby to be born. And I cannot imagine, I never have and never will. I never will know this one. You know, you got a baby inside that's pushing and kicking like some of them do. And I think, what about all the other stuff that's in there? What about your belly and your stomach? And I understand later, yeah, they, they kick on that too. No wonder she's really glad when the ninth month comes. You can't speed it up. You have to wait. You can't wait fussing. You have to wait. When you cry out to God, if his answer is yes and amen, if that's what your faith says, God will answer, you have to wait. Maybe not very long for some people, maybe quite a while for other people. A lot of people tell us the reason they quit waiting is because it's too long. It took too long. I probably have done this once. Going through a slow food restaurant, a slow food place, and drive and order a cup of coffee with one cream and one sugar. That's enough of both. And there's been more than once, I just turned the motor off, rolled the window down in the summer, just put my arm out the window like, you know, it protest. Overcomers protest. <laughs> I think once or twice I just said, forget it, and just drove out of line, drove on around, went somewhere else. See, we don't want to wait. And I'll tell you what comes out when you have to wait. And one of the reasons you have to wait is because when you have to wait, stuff comes out. Stuff comes to the surface. <laughs> and when you start that stuff and like you're in the grocery store, you look for somebody to agree with you. That's why people gossip because they're looking for somebody to agree with them. So you look around and you say, <laughs> There's some kind of pleasure in that, I think. Not with God. And you know what? I can't prove this. I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, you open the door to something that kind of holds you down, some kind of oppressive thing. I've been there. I've hollered at people that can't drive a lick or driving eight miles an hour. And I'm thinking, why don't you pull over and do that while I'm driving by myself, of course. But it doesn't take me very long, maybe another furlong down the road or 200 yards or so. I find myself saying, Lord, I repent. I have got to quit that. I have got to quit that. Because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. But there is what with God? Forgiveness. So you cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me.
help me, but I have to wait. Waiting is such an important thing that the Bible tells us that in your patience, boy, there's so much, there's a temptation to talk a long time about patience and steadfastness and endurance. It's so much a part of the faith message that you can't have one without the other one. Once you release your faith, you've got to hold on to it until the manifestation comes. It's the holding on to it that we call endurance because the devil comes to throw you off of that. And you've got to hold fast. Just like you in that food line, you've got to wait. We'll find out how mature you are in the food line. Can you imagine going to some restaurant on Sunday morning after church? Getting in line and the line's moving kind of slow and you're kind of going, <laughs> that's the way your kids act. The kids act that way people turn around and look at him and say, oh, how old is he? <laughs> but it'd be pretty bad if somebody turned around and asked your wife, how old is he? Because <laughs> you're having a yammy fit. Just stuff comes out of your life. You get identified when you have to wait because waiting requires patience. Listen, if tribulation opens the door for endurance, then a lot of people will not endure life because they won't go through their trials and tribulations. They get out of them. How can you ever mature? How can you ever learn the things, the deeper things that God has for you if you do that? You can't. You still go to church, you still have an opinion and all of that, but you can't learn the things that God wants you to learn. They that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah said, the last verse in chapter 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. And what a life we want. Would you put your finger right here in Psalms 130 and look at Isaiah 40? Last verse. But they that wait upon the Lord. Now the word wait, it's an interesting definition because it means to twist. And a lot of commentators, I would agree with a lot of dictionaries and definitions. One even went so far and he was honest. He said, I'm not sure what that means or how you put that in its context. It's used a lot. But one person, I think it was maybe Strong's and maybe somebody else said, the word describes a rope. And the picture is that God extends to you in this life a rope. Something for you to hold on to that he also holds on to. Doesn't matter where you are, how deep a hole you're in, the rope goes that far. You're never so far away that God cannot reach you. And they that wait upon the Lord, this will happen to those who do wait, who don't get in a hurry, give up and quit, frustrated and back out. And for those who wait, he said, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What if you pastored a whole bunch of them? Wow. They don't get down. They don't give up. They don't quit. They've learned to hold fast. They hold on to God. I'm crying out to you, God. There's a oh, deep despair here. And the Bible says in due season, God will raise you up. 
Keep your finger in Psalm 130. Go over to the book of James. Y'all help me now. James chapter 4 and verse 10. James 4 and verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Know that song? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he and he will what? Now, you know what that verse tells you there? That before he lifts you up, you're in a low place. You think of it. It means that there's many times we are in these places like Psalm 130 is talking about. And God gives us a way out. It's him. There hath no temptation taken you but such as common man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which is able, but will with the temptation provide what? Not that you can get out of it necessarily, but that you can endure it because in due season, God will raise you up. Sometimes you just need to humble yourself before the Lord. And that's what repentance is. That's when forgiveness comes. When you can bow that head and just start confessing, I am, I am the chief of sinners, Lord God. I am less than the least of all saints. I am on the bottom of this stack. I'm glad I'm in the stack. I'm glad I'm part of the pile here, of the construction process. If I only get to be a little pebble in the back corner that holds and helps hold something up, I'm just glad I'm there. But I am less than the least of all the saints. And the Bible says God will lift you up. You know what I think the key is? And this is another sermon. I'm trying not to preach all of them. Honesty. Honesty with yourself. It will usually, almost always, humble you. It has already silenced you. In Psalm 31, you know, Lord, I cried out to you. Honesty. Let me ask you a question. Have you messed up this week in any way? Now, don't shake your head or don't do anything because then we're all going to hit the sin button about you. Has anybody messed up this week? Has anybody said something they shouldn't have said, done something they shouldn't have done, looked at something they shouldn't have looked at, thought of themselves in some way they shouldn't think? Has anybody done anything like that? Let me tell you something. You will not be forgiven of anything in your past unless you're honest enough to confess it before God. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall be delivered. Sometimes it's pretty hard to say. Like confessing your faults one to another, to your family or your friends, to apologize or confess that you've done wrong or said wrong or acted wrong. You know what? We thought you were perfect. Brother Tom, we thought Bonnie was perfect. Now she's admitting some wrongs in her life. Oh, no, she didn't have any. She might. I don't know. It's painful when somebody knows something about you that, what? But let me tell you what honesty does. When you're honest about it, you get it out. You ask God for forgiveness because he does forgive you. He does forgive. 
And when God forgives you, he never holds that over your head ever again. That's gone. You're free. You're free, but you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest. You've got to forsake your sin, but you've got to confess it, Lord God. And nobody in this room will ever be saved unless you do that. There will come a day you quit justifying the fact that well, I'm as good as anybody else. You're a sinner. You're one vile criminal creature. You're not worthy of anything that God has. You're not even worthy of where Jonah was. And when you see that, and you can bow your head, what did he say when the two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one was Tom Hamilton? You remember what Hamilton said? He could not so much as look up to heaven. And he said, God, have mercy on me, what? A sinner. And Jesus said, this man who bowed his head admitted what he was and asked the only source for forgiveness there is, it's God. When he asked God to forgive him, he's tired of hiding junk in his life and trash and dirt. I want to get it out. And when he did that, the Bible said he went home, made right with God. And the other man, he said, I thank you. I'm not like other people. I'm not like this one or that one. He said he never was right with God. He's not justified. Honesty. The willingness to admit what God says is true. Humbling yourself before God like that. What did God say he would do when you humble yourself? Lord, lift me up and let me stand and plant my feet on higher ground or something in there like that. The psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord. You can go back to Psalm 130. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear unto me, and he heard my cry. Now, this is the part I want to share with you tonight. Now I can start my message. It'll take about five minutes, and we'll be through. That'll set a record, won't it? The last two verses. He said, verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And we know that. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is what I want you to do tonight. I want you to make this personal. I want you to make the verse you're holding personal. You'll need a Bible. Where it says Israel, put your name there. I would read it, I'll just use my first name, I would read it like this. I would say, let Tom, let him hope in the Lord. Is that what I'm directed to do anyway? Hope is expectation. Lord, promise me something you did. I'm going to receive that. I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to stay here till I get it. Let Tom hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plentiful redemption. He shall redeem Tom from all his iniquities. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All that stuff in my past cannot come back on me. Every vile and ugly, rude, unclean thing that I ever did is behind me. It is buried in the depths of the sea. I have been redeemed and by the blood washed clean. So let Tom say, let Tom say this. 
Let Tom hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Tom from all his iniquities. That sounds like a trip to heaven to me. That sounds like something heaven-bound, walking into the portal gates of glory with no record against me, clean from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, not because I was able to cleanse myself, but God Almighty, through the blood of his lamb, the lamb that was slain, and I believed it. And the same one I believed in not only has saved me, but he is there with me. And when I cry out to him in the depths of my despair, my difficulties, my problems, oh God, Lord God, my need is greater than my ability to deal with it. Lord, if there's sin in my life, if you marked our sins, I couldn't pray. I'm just done. But with you, there is forgiveness. Lord, I'm going to wait on you because I know you're listening. If I pray and you hear me and I can know that I have it, if I know I've got it, I refuse to let go of it. If I have to sit in this line for an hour, I'm going to sit here for an hour because I'm not going to be denied. So I'm going to say, Tom is going to be redeemed from all of his iniquities. Tom has redemption in the Lord. I'm going to give you about eight seconds to read that verse for yourself, not out loud. I want you to read that verse for yourself. You can even move your lips if you want to. And put your name there where it says Israel. Put your name there. All right, go ahead. Do you believe it? Is that possible? Is there anything in your life tonight that could keep that from happening? Anything. Is there anything you need to deal with tonight before you go home? Anything. Don't get up and run out of here if there is. Take advantage of this night. As I said earlier, this night is not coming back. It's like the saying, lost. One golden hour and 60 diamond minutes. No reward is offered for they are gone forever. This day, our moment tonight, what you've heard specifically tonight, the way you've heard it, you won't hear it like that again. You've heard it, and this is your night. If there's something in your life tonight you need to deal with, you need to deal with it right now. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver us, all of us, us, our young people, our families, any kind of bondage, any kind of depth of difficulty, despair, maybe our indifference, maybe it's just common sin in our lives. Give us grace. Tonight, we'll repent. And find you, as you said in your word, to be plenteous in mercy and redemption. For with you, there is mercy and forgiveness. To walk out of here tonight clean as though nothing had ever gone wrong in our lives. To be delivered. To be set free. Tonight, how the Lord would meet us and deliver us and unzip your heart and your life and graciously show you what he sees.
and tell you what he knows. It's personal and offers you a way of escape to deliver you and to lift you up. All you have to do is respond. But you can't do it unless you do it from your heart. You got to mean it. But if you will, you can walk out of here with something you've never had in your whole life. Something clean, something fresh, something new and something eternal tonight. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, I want you to touch every heart in here, mine, theirs, everybody's heart, those that watch, those that listen. Bring us into the throne that we might see who you are, to learn to put a watch before our mouth, to be still, to learn how to listen, to learn how to tune in and not broadcast. Just to learn, Lord, and to be set free and to bow in our hearts and our heads and to be humble before you. Deliver us from everything that rules us, everything that's been an obstruction to us. Deliver us. I ask you to do that tonight, Lord. You've heard many people's prayer tonight. You've heard many cry out. I ask you to bring them out of the depths. If they are in a depth tonight, I ask you to bring them out. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. what he wants to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like you.
is to be like Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Deliver your people, Lord God. Deliver your people. Father, we thank you for the work you're doing right now, for the personal work in each individual heart. We thank you for the truth in your word that you are there, that you have not forsaken us. You never will. And we just need to hold on. And you'll lift us up and you'll redeem us. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. We ask it tonight in Jesus' name and all those who believe said, Amen. 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 God is good, isn't he? Amen.